0: Oh, we know that there's there's so many things that uh, you know when we let the things of this world take us. I mean, I got a request this morning, and I just kind of clumped it all together, but i I hope you great grandmas know this morning you know when we when we pray for our children and our grandchildren, even great grandchildren now for some of you, you know they your heart aches when they ache. But I think what we're, but what, we're, what we're learning here, you know, and I'm just going to review a, just a tad about Proverbs 8 and 9 last week because um, Proverbs is teaching us that wisdom is so important to listen to. And so what did, the, what did uh, Solomon write before he had wisdom start talking for herself? He, he made us realize that wisdom. Where is wisdom? Well, wisdom is right with us. It's it cries out, and I was so glad to see that and hear and read that because, you know, sometimes I think we have to we have to really really hear wisdom. I mean, it's kind of like it's a real quiet thing. No, it cries out. I still have to choose to listen to it. But it cries out, and it is right there. You, it's not trying to hide. It's not trying to be secret. It's not trying to be soft. No, wisdom is right there. But also, that shows the power of our self-will, because sometimes, even though it's right there, even though it's crying out to you, sometimes you think, nope, don't want to go there. You know, I just soon feed myself on this. And that's what we saw. Where is folly? Where is folly? Uh, right there, too. Folly is right there. And every second of every day we choose who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to believe? Who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust what I have what I have learned? Am I paying attention to what I'm learning? You can almost hear Solomon say and put your name and my name in there. Now listen, you have got you've got the voice of God that wants to show you how to live and how to grow and how, how to make decisions. And, you know, and so last week I did that with you and I hope that you, what, what do you know? What do you absolutely know about Jesus that you can hold on to that will keep you from listening to folly? What is the wisdom you've learned about Jesus that will keep you from turning to that self that wants to lure you and, and just, um, Oh, I mean it appeals to your weakness and we all have them. We all are addicted to sin and ourselves and would much rather listen to ourselves because it's so much easier and it appeals to our flesh and and we have excuses for. Remember last week we talked about excuses and and what do you know? What are you holding on to? Anything this morning? what do you know about him that if you are willing to listen it is crying so loud in your into your heart anything this morning that you There is, that is such a good one. You know that. David wrote that, and he said that I have nothing to worry about, even though I walk through, because I think death could be some of our greatest fears. Even though we're not afraid to die, the whole process is a little spooky because, you know, it's just so unknown to us. And David understood that, you know, and he understood that 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 whole process could throw you. And so that's why I said even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to fear that because there's never going to be a second that he isn't with me, taking me through that whole process. I mean, what that is good to know. Maybe maybe that's what you need to hear in your season right now. What's what He'll give you peace and joy because, remember, those are fruit of the Spirit. You can't muster that up to yourself. So he will give you what you can't do for yourself. That's the reason for the gift of his Spirit. The, I call it the one of the greatest perks of Calvary. Other than my salvation, I have the fact that I don't have to do this myself because I know I can't. But I have his spirit in me that will give me peace in the storm, joy when I'm not happy, because it's all given from within. Because no one or nothing can take away what should be the most priceless thing to us. And that's something you've got to think about too. What is the most priceless thing to you? And I'm telling you, if you have to say, if you put anything other than Jesus in and, and that answer, then you've made some other god in your life, because if you if you think I need or I can't live without, you have made something or someone a god, and so we need to always go through that in our mind. What do what do I need? What am I most grateful for? You know, next week already. Just think, next week already. You know, what are. We sit around that table, what are we most grateful for? And we'll we'll sing, count your many blessings, name them one by one. We have a tendency to think that blessings are, oh, oh, we have good health, or we have children, or we've got these grandchildren, or whatever. And, you know, I think that that word has just gotten just overused. And when we're going to talk about that word today, because blessed are those whose sins have been forgiven. Blessed are those whose transgressions have been removed from them. Blessed are those who know that they've been bought back. You know, that, you know, that's what we have to keep re-evaluing. What is the most important thing in your life? That's what Paul's trying to. You've been made right. So anything else? What else are you? That's such a good one, such a great, that's such great wisdom, isn't it? Right out of a proverb, when you trust him with all your heart and you deliberately choose not to lean to your own self, but in all your ways, you choose to acknowledge him. You open up God's word. You study him. You want to hear his words in your ear. Then what does he promise? He'll direct. He will direct. He'll make your path straight. That's another one anything else that you just are so grateful you know and it will keep you from drifting John 14:6 I am the way the truth and the life no man That's right John 14:6 Yep to know that you know and it's that concrete it's that simple I mean it's that absolute it's that non-negotiable all those words when Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life. And no man, you are not gonna get there unless it's through Jesus. I mean, I mean, Paul has done such a bang up job just making sure that some of us religious people are great church attenders in western Michigan here, that you start looking in the mirror and realize, realizing it is not by the family that you were born in—it's not the church you were raised in. It's not the the wonderful opportunities that were given to you that saved you. As precious as they are, as important as they are, because they all guided you to the one and only salvation is found in none other. Yeah. Any other? Any other word? That God so loved the world, that That's right. John 3.16, I'm telling you, I mean, we all know that verse, but there's the bottom line foundation of the gospel for you and I. Beautiful. Yep. You hold on to that. I guarantee you, you won't go down in the dumps. Uh-huh. You won't. See, this, this is the choice. Are you going to feed on God's wisdom and let these verses of absolute truth feed you? And you think, oh, what's wrong with me anyway? Mommy feels, why am I feeling so down and gloomy? Oh, so what? The sun isn't shining out. You know, I mean, these verses of truth should raise us up. That's right. We are saved. Anything else? He is my all in all. And he, has overcome the world. he is your all in all, and He has overcome the world. And that's, geez, that's right out of Jesus' mouth when He said, you know, peace I leave with you, peace I give you, you know? And he said, I have overcome the world. You can live in, in this. Oh, call unto him, and what can you count on? He will answer. He will answer you. Now, remember, though, and I think we've come a long way. He's going to answer. How is he going to answer? What, it starts with a P. He's going to answer perfectly. Yes. So sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. And we have a tendency to think that if it's not yes, it's not an answer. And I, 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 am, I want to get out of that rut. I want, to get, I want to get prayer to be something so much bigger because prayer is me staying connected to him, not getting what I want. Prayer is when my spirit and the Holy Spirit stay connected. That way I will trust his will. I will ask for nothing less than his will. Because I believe my faith is getting so strong that this, I mean, this is what we're working for, that our faith gets so strong that we don't want anything but his will. It's called surrender. It's called, it's called surrender. It's called submission. That's right. But see, I mean, I'm just doing this just to show you that just by hearing these things, these absolute truths, this wisdom that he's given us, that he doesn't change, that these, his promises, his principles, they don't change. He wants us to see you've got a choice to listen to that all day long. Or you can be all day dumb. I heard that phrase. I just laughed at that. You can be all day dumb listening to yourself. You know, and when I put it like that, I thought, yeah, you know, that isn't the smartest thing, is it, to think that I want to listen to me when I've got him. So when I choose to listen to him, I'm all uh, listening to myself. I'm all day dumb because no, why would I want to hear anything but his words? So you know, when you when you watch that wisdom on one side and folly on the other. And I have to choose which one I'm going to hear. That just makes you go into Romans 4 today, and you think, no, I want to hear this. I want to hear every word, and you you can't. I mean, the way Paul put it in this chapter, I think you cannot miss it. Um, he starts by saying, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? See, we left Romans 3, and Paul is again in that chapter making sure we know that we've been made right by our belief by faith we've been we have not been made right by our works and so he continues that same subject by saying you know this whole faith thing is nothing new god expected abraham to to live by faith and so he's trying now to to he's going back into his Pharisee knowledge. But see, all of that learning, there was nothing wrong with the learning. It's just that Paul put all his stock in in his knowledge instead of Jesus. So, but now how the Lord is combining all that, now that his, his heart is saved, and now that he, he knows Jesus in a personal way, now he's saying, okay, Paul, now go back to your learning and see what you learned back in the Old Testament that you were so proud that you knew every word. Now you're going to see how it makes sense, So he says, okay, look at back in in Abraham's day. He too had to live by faith. The only way he was credited as righteous was through his belief. So look at, he says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not about God. And you know, I think we saw in Abraham's life that, you know, there were times he was boasting about himself. And then we saw him fall flat on his face. When he chose to not boast and walk in faith, then he just messed up bad. And that's why I wanted, in the contrast, I, in the questions, I wanted you to contrast that. Look look at Abraham. When he walked by faith, look what he was able to do. At 75 years old, the Lord said, Abraham, I want you to leave. Abraham says, where, where do you want me to go? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Just follow me. And it says immediately he got up, he got his fa- he got his family together, and they and they left. That takes a lot of faith. That took a lot of faith. He just totally believed God, and that's why that's why Paul writes that he goes back to Genesis fifteen six. And he says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteous. He got his title of being right before God because Abraham believed God. When God said this, because, you know, if you read Genesis 15, if you go through those chapters, you know, with that, when he got his calling, when he was told that he had to leave and when he was given the promise that he would be the father of many nations, as many as the stars, as the sand of the sea, I mean, for him to just utterly believe that and step out, that took absolute trust in his God because that made no sense. And then you saw how when he didn't walk by faith, I mean, we saw how when God said, you're going to have as many children as in you, and then here they are, 190, and they still don't have children. Abraham being 100 and Sarah being 90, Well, you know, about 10, 12 years before that, Sarah thought, boy, you know, hey, we're running out of time here, so we better figure out a plan. And instead of Abraham just simply saying, no, God said, and we're going to wait, and we're going to submit, we're going to surrender. They concoct, they step out of God's will and try to make things happen on their own. And look at the mess. I mean, the mess of, of, of Ishmael and, and Hagar and Sarah relationship. And I mean, it's just, and then with the consequences today because of that disobedience, We've got the, you know, Arab nation today. You know, we see the descendants of Ishmael. I mean, we are still living out the consequences of that disobedience. I mean, and God very simply said, "Don't expect anything less. I I will bless those who obey, but I will I will give, I will give punishment and discipline, and and there will be consequences to those who don't." We saw the Abraham when he was walking by faith, well, to do the impossible. How do you give one son? And God says, I want you to sacrifice him to me. I mean, that is literally, for any parent, that is literally impossible unless you believe the voice of God. If you believe the wisdom of his words. He had a knife in his hand. But we also saw Abraham when he when he and Sarah were on their way and, two times it happened. He got a little nervous. He stepped out of God's will. He didn't trust. He just looked at his beautiful wife and said, tell him you're my sister or I'm dead meat. I mean, you know, he was, instead of committing and submitting and surrendering. So the contrast, look look what he was able to do when he trusted God. But look what happened when he did. not Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift but as an obligation, you know, and that, that's understandable. I get that analogy. Don't you? I mean, when you work a job and do you, you worked your the salary that was promised you or the hourly wage and your paycheck comes and your boss gives you the check, I mean, you say, thank you, but you had it coming. I mean, he, he was obligated to pay what he owed. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteous. I kind of use that as a, you know, it's kind of like, yes, you, you deserve your paycheck, but if there's ever a bonus in it, I mean, that, that just comes out of sheer, I mean, that's the gift. There was, you didn't work for that. He just thought enough of you to give you a bonus, you know? And I think this is what Paul is trying to say, too. Make sure you realize that you couldn't work for salvation. You couldn't work to be made right. This is a bonus because he loved us so much. David says the same thing. So he goes back to David. He, He goes back to two very important men that we do look up to for their faith. And I, I have to just uh, tell you that it's, it's astounding to me how when, when Paul is talking about Abraham, when, when Paul is talking about David, when you read Hebrews 11, you know, whenever you hear about these men, I mean, I, it was my question that said, go back and see what they were like when they didn't walk by faith, because I wanted to show you the contrast. But... Whenever you see these men, like especially Abraham in Hebrews 11, if you ever read that, there's, it's, he really, the writer of Hebrews really talks about Abraham quite a bit. And so whatever th- that writer wrote, you know God inspired him to write that. So you don't see anything in that story of Abraham about, yeah, but boy, he, he, he lost it a couple times. You never hear about David's sin. You never hear about Abraham's sin. Whenever you hear, that it's always about the good. It's always about them walking by faith. It's always what they achieved. And I had to think about that. I thought, why? Why don't they use that as life lessons? Why? Because when something is, when a sin has been confessed, what what does our Lord do? He forgives and he remembers them no more. So there's no bringing this up here because I'm thinking that's what he does. You bring up, if we bring up an old sin that's been under the blood, it's been covered, it's been confessed and forgiven, if we bring that up, it's almost the Lord saying, what are you talking about? How precious is that? So now we are learning that these two men that Paul is using as examples their faith was astounding. Yes, they made mistakes, but you know what? It's all under the blood. And now let us see what it looks like to look to walk by faith. It says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteous, righteousness apart from works. So he quotes. Paul goes back again. He goes back to Psalm 32. Where David writes, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. It's not that I doubted that that was Psalm 32, but I just went back. And I'm glad that I did because there's a couple other verses after those verses that David writes this. When I kept silent... In other words, when I didn't do anything about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave, and, you, and the guilt of my sin was gone. Is this blessedness? See, this is the blessedness we were talking about. According to David, there's nothing like it when you have been set free. When you don't have to carry the weight, your bones don't have to be wasting away because of your guilt. You can let it go, and that's why blessed are those who the Lord does not count their sin against them anymore. It's a freedom from within, it's a new beginning. It's the sinful woman who Jesus said, now go live it up. Go live in peace. You've been forgiven of the worst sin, and that has nothing to do with maybe the individual sin that she committed. It's the sin against him. It's just plain the sin that we live in. He said, I took care of all that for you. Now go live it up. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? So now Paul is going to go back. Now the Jews had a real real stickler thing about being circumcised. I mean, that was the big sign. And it's true. God did set up that sign that the, the male Israel nation would have, this would be a symbolic sign that they were a part of this, this group this family. So he said, was it after he was circumcised that he was credited as righteous? Or was it before he was circumcised? And he he comes right out and says, yeah, I'll answer that. It wasn't before. It was, no, it wasn't, it wasn't after. It was before. So in other words, he did, he was credited righteous before that symbol even, even took shape. So, Paul says, I just want you to know it has nothing to do with visible works. It has to do with your heart and how much do you believe that He is who He is. And He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that He had by faith while He was still uncircumcised. So then, He is the Father of all who believe but have not been circumcised. (laughs) Paul is well acquainted. He's talking to a bunch of Romans here. And so, you know, the Gentile nation, they didn't have all those rules. They They don't know anything about that. And yet, simply what Paul is trying to say, anybody, everybody can come to the cross of Christ and he will take you just as you are. And he's also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he's saying, I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you have had a lot of credentials and you followed a lot of the rules and you made profession of faith before you graduated. You know, you you followed all all the the things that your church had, a little setup, and you followed all them perfectly. No, none of that does it until you know and you've seen yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior, and you do something about it. And so he's just lumping us all. It's kind of the verse that you said, Adele, God so loved the world. I mean, that's just everybody, everybody. And, and salvation is available to everybody who is willing to humbly take that walk. It is not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. I say this every week. Um, Do you think Solomon repeated? Do you think Paul repeated? I mean, I sometimes wonder when I was doing this, how, how many different ways are you going to say this? It's basically coming at it in just all different directions to make sure that you do not miss for if those who live by law are heirs faith has no value and the promise is worthless. because law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. So in other words, there is just if you didn't have laws there well, you know you there'd be no transgression. It's kind of like if you if there was no speeding laws, and the police pulled you over and he said, well, you're going too fast and you said, well, There's no, there's no limit. There's no, there's no rule. So he really couldn't get you because no transgression was made because there was no law. We need laws. Can you imagine the chaos? However, he's saying, the law is not what saved you. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and maybe guarantee to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. So whether you're a Jew of the law, the Old Testament Jew, or whether you are Gentile, because you have the same faith that Abraham. You believed, you believed, and because you believed, you were credited as righteousness. So, I mean, he's just encompassing everybody, Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white. You talk about an undivided group here because we all stand with the need of a Savior the same way. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Then he moves in verse 18, he moves into this, against all hope. This is another way that he's going to describe what living by faith can do in you. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, did you think that that was just kind of a controversy with the word hope? Because it said against hope. Abraham, in hope, believed. The first part is against hope. Then the next little part of the sentence is that it was because of hope. I mean, I was a little stumped, so it was one of those times that I had to sit there and say, you know, you're going to have to help and remind me of what I've learned about that word hope that I can make sense out of this. And so as I sat there, willing to let the Holy Spirit remind me, all of a sudden, yeah, it comes to me. We've talked about this. There are two different kinds of hope. There's an earthly hope and there's a heavenly hope. Our earthly hope, now how often don't you use the word hope? I mean, I know that I probably said it to many of you this morning as I was talking to you. I probably said, oh, Sandy, I sure hope it turns out okay. Or Linda, I sure hope that they pick it up at the game show. I hope. Now, there's nothing wrong with with using that word hope, but that's an earthly hope. And when you say that, you're showing that, yes, I'm wanting this to work out. But when you say, I hope it does what does it say? There's an element of, it might not. I don't know what God's will is in this matter. So the earthly hope is, I hope it does. I hope this works out for you. But the unearthly hope always has that element of doubt. Maybe it might not work. And we've got to be aware that it could go either way. But, and so... That's why when he said against all hope, he's talking about the earthly hope because he goes on to explain, against all earthly hope, you look at a man 100 years old and you look at a woman 90 years old, realistically, in all reality, is there any hope at all here? (laughs) You know, there's nothing. And so if you're talking about that, then against all reality, this isn't going to work. It's not going to happen. So what Abraham had to do, because he had to look in the mirror and say, you know what, in all realisticness, this, this can't be. So then he chose to say, but my hope does not lie in human conditions. My hope Heavenly hope is a sure thing. Earthly hope, it's questionable. Heavenly hope is a sure thing. Now, I'm going to jump you to the fifth chapter. I don't like to do that, but I just just had to. So Paul talks about this kind of hope. And look what he says in chapter 5, the end of verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. That's a sure thing. He's done that. We believe Calvary worked. We believe the cross worked. We believe the blood worked. We believe Jesus paid it all. He doesn't have to do it again. We believe that all was sufficient for our salvation. We believe that because of that promise, we've got a future. We've got a hope to what is to come. We don't say, well, I hope that happens. When it comes to the things of the Lord, you don't say, well, I hope it works. I hope that, that by coming to the cross and humbly realizing that I'm a sinner, I'll hope that worked. Oh, I hope when I die, I hope there really is heaven. That, that is, he said, no, when it comes to things that I've done, what I've said, what I've promised, that hope is a sure thing. So you have to decide what hope you're living in. So Abraham in this situation, against all human hope and all human reality, wasn't going to happen. But God said, God promised. And that's what he chose to believe. Now, he says here, without weakening, without weakening in his faith. So yeah, it, it was a choice. Do you think that? Do you think that? Well, yeah, they did doubt when they stepped out of their faith. But when they chose not to step out of their faith, they were able to wait and watch. It's kind of what Fanny says. I'm watching and I'm waiting. I'm looking above. Until then, I'm filled with goodness I'm lost in his love she is looking forward and she's clinging to the hope that is a for sure thing and that's what he did and he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God see this if it was me writing it I would have probably said yeah except for that, that about 12 year span you know but you know that's all gone that's all that's all been forgiven. Don't bring it up again. That's, I'm so glad God wrote this book. And Paul said, all right, I'll write what you want me to say. Because that just shows that is that part is gone. And when Abraham walked by faith and he didn't waver, and he trusted in the hope that what God says he does, being fully persuaded. Oh, Paul's good at those words. Paul, for I know, I'm persuaded. Paul walked with such a strength of surety, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but for you and me also. You and me, we can have that title. I've been credited as righteous. I am now righteous before God. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know what I do. I know what I think sometimes. And yet, because of the way he sees me, I've been credited as totally righteous. I can go right into his presence this morning. He looks at me as as if I'm holy and blameless. It's because I was credited as righteousness because I chose to believe in a, in a for sure hope that what God says, he means it, and he does, and I can claim it. And because I claimed it, I now am claimed as righteous. God will credit righteousness for us who believes in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was, put, he was delivered over to death so Paul, just in a little snippet at the end of this chapter, he just wants to say, remember, you were credited as righteous because Jesus went to the grave. and But then he was raised to life so that we could be justified, just as if we'd never sinned. Believe me, again, reminder, you didn't do it. Nothing you could have done. You are c- credited as righteous because Jesus died, was buried, rose again, And now you are declared righteous, you are justified. Take your questions a minute. I hope that you, I hope that you did them because did some of these were such, some of these were such good thinkers. Like question five, what is the only reason Abraham believed he could have a son and he could sacrifice Isaac? Whoa, what I mean, whoa, what's the word? He had faith. Faith. And and again, what is faith? I, I you know, I have to ask you that. What is faith? And that is just an absolute trust in God. Not you, but in God. That you believe that God controls, He's got a plan. He's at work, he can use you, he desires to use you. So what is, what is the only way you and I can live a right life? The only reason, that's right. You accept that sacrifice. And again, you have to believe that because none of us were there. You know, one time when I was reading Billy Graham's book, his biography, I was so surprised in this one little section where he said when he was in college, he just you, you it's so hard to believe this of Billy Graham. He said, I turned a little rebellious. And he said, I started doubting. Because he went to a Christian college, and of course everything was based on God's word. And so he got smart alky and rebellious and started challenging and saying, well, how do I know? How do I know this this Bible? How do I know it's true? How do I know that it's God's mouth? You know, and I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, whoa, you know, if he ever doubts, you know there's a lot of people who are saying that. You know, and there are many, you know, many answers to that question. You can say, "Well, you know, look at all the look at all the prophecies that were fulfilled just to the letter." My answer usually is, "I just look in the mirror because <laughs> I know what I was and I know what I am, and I know what book changed my life." But you know what his answer was, and I just love it. Is one day he was alone and he was thinking about it, and he said, "Okay, I think I think this is." I got wisdom crying out to me in one ear, and I got folly crying out to me in another ear. And he made a conscientious choice right then to say, I'm going to believe it by faith. That was his answer. He says he never looked back. That second, that day, he decided, I believe by faith this is God's word, and I'm going to trust every word in it. And he he based every sermon he preached after that from this book. And what an amazing life. And what an amazing life. And look how many people came to know from the simple truth of this book because he chose to listen to godly wisdom and just accept by faith. So my point is, you know, this whole thing, this whole salvation thing, it's got to be by sheer belief because none of us were there. So do we believe that God's Word, when it tells a story about a gospel that Jesus left heaven, he's the second person of the Trinity, he's the equal Godhead, his blood was all the only thing that could be be used to cover um, sin? You know, you, you think about that, and that then, and then he lived 33 years, and do I believe a Bible that says, and then he died on a cross... <laughs> And then I believe, do I believe a Bible that says, but the third day he rose again? Do I believe a Bible that says that he ascended into heaven and that he is now preparing a place and he's going to come back to take his children home? You know, this is, this is, am I going to believe this by faith? Because I can't believe it by sight. And that's why faith is believing and trusting and being confident that this happened and that it worked. And maybe it's just bottom line what Billy Graham said, I just made a choice. I'm going to believe it by faith. And then I think he he would dare say, and then watch it change your life, because it is true. So I asked the question, do you have faith? You know, I I mean, how much does he need to really just start faith going in your life? Just a just, just like a mustard seed. You just need a little mustard seed, a little speck. It's all he needs to start it going. And then he will keep strengthening it and strengthening it the more that you get to know him, the more then you'll have more trust and more belief. How powerful is it when you activate your faith? I mean, we saw from Abraham, we saw from David. Look what faith is able to do. In fact, Jesus himself said if you have faith, it can remove what? It can remove a mountain your faith can remove a mountain. You think, well, you know, that just sounds so silly. You can't just pick up a mountain and move it. That's impossible. Well, guess what? Sometimes he says those mountains in your life, when you have to go through something, you think, I don't think I can can do this. It's a mountain that can't be moved. He's saying, guess what? Your faith, when it's strong enough and you believe enough and you trust him enough, you believe that God is up to something. He can use this for your good. He can stretch you and move you forward. He can make you better. No, it is powerful. It can remove a mountain. I hope you understand what blessed means. I hope you can see that it's just something so from within that only God can, can give. And I'll tell you, you don't want to miss when he says, I will bless you. You don't want to miss that. Okay, now question 10. I really wanted to make sure that we had an understanding here. Where do justice and mercy come together? Where does Jesus take sin and make us right? Where does mercy come together and veer with with justice? Where does that happen? There's only one place it happens. Where does it happen? At the cross. All of our sins have been covered with his blood. So, yeah, where are in mercy, you know, that, that whole definition of grace. What is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting salvation and redemption when you didn't deserve it. Mercy is not getting what you did deserve, and that was the eternal death. Because God takes and deals with sin. Sin has to be dealt with. So where does justice and mercy come together? Only one place can that happen. If you were asked to identify grace of someone, because that's a church word, you know, everybody thinks they know grace, faith, all these are church words. I had no idea the depth of them before. I just accepted them as church words. But if somebody asks you to define grace and you could only use one word, undeserved. Yeah. I mean, there's much you can say about the word, but if you could just use one word, grace is undeserved. We just don't deserve it. Can you live, and you saw my quotation marks, can you live? Can you have that abundant life? Can you have that that promise of a future? Can you live in that blessed assurance? Can you live like that without grace? No. And I'm sure that it took you nothing but a split second to write, nope, can't live without it. And then you move on to the next question so quickly. But you know what? I have to say this time I decided to sit there. Can I live without grace? No. And then I decided to write a few more words (laughs) because no was just not sufficient enough. And I wrote not a chance. I mean, it just, the more I sat there, the more I thought about it, that none of what I claim today, none of what he claimed me as, none of it is without grace. If salvation could have been obtained through works, if salvation could have been obtained through works, what well, wouldn't have had to happen? The cross wouldn't have had to happen. And, you know, you even get uh, proof of that because Jesus himself, what did he say to his father? If there's any other way you could come up with, but not my will, but thine be done. There was silence from above, so that meant there was no other way. So the cross is the only way. So I couldn't help to say was Christ's work, as we were talking about in Chapter 4 when you talked about the verses, obligation or gift. So what is our salvation? What, what is Christ's work on the cross? Is a, was it an obligation? It was a gift. Was a gift. I know. That, that was really... Um, you know one of the simplest questions you will ever answer in your lifetime but i did it on purpose because i just wanted you to think that it is not an obligation on his part no he was willing to do it and it's not an obligation on our part to receive it it's a gift it gives us a choice we have to take it it's obedience all right, so I just kind of wanted to keep you thinking, all right, what about Abraham and David? If they could walk in here and I said to them, okay, Abraham and David, wake up, welcome. You've got five seconds. I mean, that's, isn't that crazy? Because wouldn't you just love to be out here all day letting them talk? And, and you know, I, I do this on purpose because I want you to remember that these are real people that someday we will meet. But let's just say they walked in the door right now, and I said to them, "Well, you know, it's about seven to eleven. We don't have much time, so five seconds." What do you think, Abraham? What do you, I think they'd say? They I think they'd say the same thing. I think they both would say the very same thing, if they had to describe themselves, if they had to give their personal testimony, knowing full well that they're very well aware their humanity they they knew what happened when they chose to let self take over but if those two men could come up here and we gave them five seconds what do you think their testimony would be that's right that's right they you know I'm sure that we come up but the the, the phrase that I'm that I'm, I'm striving for here is that that they were sinners saved by grace. Exactly. If they had five seconds, I would dare say because of what they've been through, what they've experienced in their life, as David wrote, blessed are those whose transgressions are never now before them. I think they would know that they were sinners, but they both, because of their faith, because they chose to believe that God's work and promise changed them. They were sinners saved by grace. So I couldn't help but end the lesson by asking you the last question. I okay, wonder if I gave you five seconds. And I said, what is your testimony? You're a sinner saved by grace. And now that you know what grace means, and they, there's just no chance you and I could live without it, because Paul has just pounded into us that I don't care what good things you've done. Nothing has saved you other than Jesus. And now go out and live because no one or nothing can take that away from you. I'll tell you, we are blessed. Now go live like it.